Good morning. morning. (laughs) After first service, I had a a friend come up to me and go, do you think of me when you're writing the sermons? (laughs) No, no, actually I don't. But uh, I definitely think through this community, and most importantly, I want to be faithful to what the Word actually says. And so today may be one of those days where you... uh, you may need to buckle up because this, this text will preach if that, if that makes sense to you. And so, very excited about that. Um, all right, so we're continuing our Compelled to Replicate series. We've been defining what discipleship is. Here's the thing with discipleship. It's very ambiguous. It's very not clear unless you define it. And we want to see disciplined pupils in relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to see. That's what we're talking about when we say discipleship. And so we're trying to remove the excuse, I don't know how to disciple. And so we've been going through these different terms. And uh, many weeks ago, we talked about teaching. How teaching is not just instilling information, but it's making the learner want to learn more. We talked about accountability. Accountability is not just so you'd sin less, but you'd pursue Christ more. We talked about life on life and how important it is to be around others because more is caught than taught, and we don't grow in a vacuum. And then we talked last week about mentorship and how important it is to have people that can give us guidance and we can learn from and we can walk with and do life with. And then today, we're going to talk about application. Today we're going to be talking about application, and that word, you see the question mark, next week we conclude this series as we go through these six tenets. Next week we're going to talk specifically about the last one and tie a pretty beautiful bow, I hope, by God's grace, over this entire series. But when we say application, there's things that we can think of. We can think of something that you have on your phones. You have apps. You have lots of apps, probably, if you have a smartphone and you have more than 16 gigs on it. And you have these apps. Apps are also known as appetizers, right? And what I want to be really clear and a little punny, if I'm honest, is I want us to understand that what we're talking about today is not an appetizer, it's the main meal. Application is not something that is a good idea, it is the main idea of Christianity. Here's why I know that, because application can also be known as obedience. Obedience. That word obedience is a very unfun word depending on our maturity, understanding, and love for God. Obedience is the adherence to commands and guidelines or rules that are set as an authority over us. For many, they see commands or rules as a killjoy rather than an opportunity for growth. Today, we're going to stress, but also explain the benefit to adhering, to doing, to applying and obeying God at his word. So James, chapter 1, verse 22, Ruth just read it. I'm going to read it again. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This verse, if you've been here for any period of time, this should be pretty, you've heard this before. In fact, it was on the bulletin for all of 2018 because it's so important that we understand that for many of us, we might just be deceiving ourselves. And so what we're talking about today is going to kind of go against some of us who have been in the church a really long time because it's going to push against what we've heard. It's going to push against what we've learned or at least what we've watched other people do. Why is being a doer of the word so important? Because it gives us an understanding of the function of God's people. What they do because the Holy Spirit in particular is working through them. So what's this function? It's to do what the word says. 
Rather than just read it, lest we deceive ourselves. Rather than just read it so our heart hardens, but we actually put it into practice through the motive of wanting to be more like Jesus, not to justify ourselves, but because we've been justified, we want to do the things that he says. So deceive, it's a mathematical term, which means to miscalculate. And so when we just hear the word and we don't do it, we are miscalculating our faith when we think it actually takes faith to read the word. It doesn't take faith, church. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take God's intervention to read the word. It takes God's intervention to understand and obey the word. Let me say it another way. The Holy Spirit is not required to read the Bible. He is required to obey the Bible. And understanding that, that nugget of truth, if you will, is so important because I don't want you to hear what I'm going to teach today and go, well, I just have to try harder. Because trying harder is more about you trying to work your way to God when God already worked his way to us. Hallelujah. There's something incredibly important about the language that James uses as well. Do you notice that he doesn't say, do the word? What does he say? He says, be a doer of the word. And this has more to do with who you are than just what you've done at some point. It's one thing to go to war. It's another thing to be a soldier. It's one thing to give medical advice. It's another thing to be a doctor. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? In January, I gave up social media, and I took up running. You're like, oh, you're looking slim. Yep. <laughs> and here's the thing. It's been wonderful for my health. It's been wonderful for my attitude, and I look forward to every night to put on my running shoes, huh? Put on my running pants, huh? And run, <laughs> I, I wear more than that, but run around our neighborhood. <laughs> I should have added more. And I get to run around our neighborhood with my wife, who's been running for a lot longer than me. And she's been running half marathons through Disneyland and Disney World and Great America and amusement parks. And she's been running, she's been doing Spartan races, she's been doing beasts because she's savage, right? Like, phenomenal, she loves to run. And after the first day, let me just be real, for me, after the first day of running, I was hurting. Anyone? Anyone ever experienced this? Okay. All I did was a mile. <laughs> and I was hurting. Now let's be real. After that first day, if I started to call myself a runner, you'd probably think I was a poser, right? But I got running pants, right? <laughs> you'd question if I actually was a runner. And I may have ran once, but I think I'm yet to be a runner. Now it's been a little over half a month, and I'm now running three, four, and five miles and enjoying it. And it's great, and I'm sleeping better, my attitude's better. I got my running shoes, my running pants, my, I, I'm, I'm online still, but not on social media. I'm looking up different runs across the world that I want to go do. But most importantly, I run every day, except for yesterday, because I wussed out, because it was raining. But I run, because it's not something that I just do. It's, I think it's becoming a part of who I am. Now, some of you are real runners. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you've like 26.2 sticker on your car, right? Like you've ran. Some of you have been running for years, maybe even decades. And you think it's cute that my half a month of running makes me consider myself a runner. I get it. 
And I'm not attempting to exalt cynicism. That's not my goal here. But there are a lot of people who claim Jesus Christ and point to some past experience. Like a baptism. Or when you obeyed once. Or when you used to be passionate. What that becomes is us living in the past without any real continuous expectation of pursuit. So let me point you to a verse, Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up there. Actually, it'll be up on both of those. Yay! But Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. They've been persecuted. They've been beaten up. And he's writing to remind them they can find joy in Jesus no matter the circumstance. Someone needed to hear that today. And he writes, and he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the good work. That's the most important statement in there. He who began the good work will see it to completion. Hear me, God doesn't have unfinished business in people. He doesn't have projects all around the house like we do that are half finished, that we've given up on. If God started the good work, church, in you, it will be completed even if it doesn't always feel like that because you go back to sin that you've done in the past like a dog, you return to your vomit like me. We've all known people who have dipped their toe in Christianity and would even call themselves Christians but then stopped because of someone in church offending them. Did you know that happens? It does. Or the Bible expecting too much from someone who really has just been dabbling in Christianity rather than actually being a Christian. They may have ran once, they may have running pants, but that doesn't make them a runner. Here's the truth, like when, when Sunday comes, I'm pretty excited. Pretty excited to see many of you. I said many, I'm just kidding. <laughs> pretty excited to see all y'all. <laughs> I'm excited to open the Bible with you. I'm excited to worship with you. I'm excited to be in this today cold room working through what God has to say. But here's why I'm excited. One, I get to do life with you. But two, here's the other reason I'm excited. Because I believe that every time we open this, we're inviting God to change us. And I am grateful for each of you. And I'm very grateful for the fact that none of us are done. God is still doing a work in us. And it's exciting but what if you don't continue in the faith? I'm not talking about continuing to go to church, even though I think if you don't want anything to do with God's people, you probably don't understand God. But what if you don't continue in the faith? Does that mean you've lost your salvation? Does that mean that, that God does have unfinished business and he just couldn't you know, do enough in you because your will was too strong? No. If you don't continue in the faith, it means that God wasn't the one who began the good work. It was you. It was your will. It was your idea. You bought the running pants. You watched some YouTube videos on running. You read a bunch of running magazines. You might have even changed your diet. But are you a runner? Probably not. Because he who began a good work finishes what he starts. James says, don't miscalculate. Don't deceive yourself. Don't miscalculate your Christianity. Don't just do something the word says once, but be a doer of the word, ongoing, consistently. Because as you do something, it starts to be a part of who you are. I've believed the message of Christianity for about 18 years now. And here's what I know. I have not believed it, and it's translated to my life always. 
I said yes, I was baptized, but there was a season where I wanted to live life my own way. But if you look at the 18 years of life from the time when I first came to know Jesus to today, there's definitely change in me. I look at my kids and every day I don't just go, you just grew point one centimeter. Like you don't see it, but over time you see growth. And I haven't been perfect, but I have consistently and sometimes very slowly pursued the perfect one. But it's not obvious in the day-to-day. It's obvious over a long period of time. So if you're hurting, if you're feeling like, oh, man, like when, when the preaching is preached, like I feel like oh, I'm not growing fast enough. I'm not growing like this person or that person. Are you growing over time? You're not where you want to be, but praise God, you're not where you used to be. So we believe we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, by Christ alone. And so understanding what our work does and doesn't do, I would say is of first importance. Because we're, a lot of us are doers. A lot of us want to get stuff done. And Paul writes to the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, about our justification and our reaction to our justification. Another word for justification, our salvation, our being saved, if you're Christendom. So in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, For it is those, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now, we're religious up in here, if you know it or not. And so when you read this, you might see this as something other than what it's actually saying. See, Paul is making clear that our justification, our salvation, doesn't come from simply hearing. But hear me. Our justification also doesn't come from simply doing. It is our doing that comes out of our justification. That's what he's trying to make clear. That if you do things for the Lord, it's because you were originally justified. It was because God opened your eyes to see who he was. That's why you do these good works. And a lot of people skip that step, don't they? So if you hear Paul's words as simply, those who obey the law are righteous, you've missed the depth of the gospel because, and I said this last week, but I'm adding to it, the Bible is not a bunch of do's and don'ts, but it's about done so that we can be doers. Do you see the formula? The Bible, you don't read it and just go, well, I have to do this and I can't do this and man, God's a cosmic killjoy and oh, I wanna do that and why can't, that's not what the Bible is. It's not about do's and don'ts. The Bible teaches that it was done for you and when you understand that it was done for you, you then can be a doer for you him. Woo! I'll be my own witness. And our righteousness doesn't come from how good or often or well we obey the law, but guess who it comes from? It comes from the one who resides in us, who is the catalyst to our obedience. So let me take you to Ephesians. If you've been here a while, about 18 months ago, we started the book of Ephesians, and Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you, Christian, also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you realized it's not about you working your way to God, but that Christ came to you, the fact that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, the fact that you understand that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. When you realize that it ain't about you, but it's about Jesus. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him 
with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. This seal, not, oh, 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 that, not that seal. This seal of your salvation, the Holy Spirit, is not a what, but it's a who. It's not an it, but it's a he. This Holy Spirit was given to you. He was given to you when you trusted the gospel and you were then included in Christ and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who makes you holy is your deposit of your future inheritance. You don't walk alone. You walk with the Lord and he lives inside of you. So he, God, initiates. What do we do? We obey. And James uses this really negative example of one who does not have the spirit to initiate obedience. He's basically saying what this is, this isn't just for uh, Christians that are lazy. This is literally someone who doesn't have the spirit. Here's what he says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This analogy always was lost on me because I don't really look in the mirror, obviously, right? I, mean, I don't spend a lot of time in the mirror. I just want to make sure like, my beard looks good. Literally, that's the only thing I look at. And this, <laughs> this analogy was lost on me, but you know what? Most analogies are lost on people when they read the Bible through a 21st century Western culture lens. So we got to go back to what was he talking about? What happened first century to a Jew? And in the first century, many people used mirrors made of polished metal. So the best example I have right now, even though it's not polished metal because most of our cars are newer, it's the, the, when you're looking at your face in the door of a car. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, oh, right? Like, it was, it, was, it was a little messed up. It wasn't very clear. It wasn't a glass mirror, but it was this polished metal that wasn't as clear. And people would use this to wash their faces. They would use this to shave their beards. They would, they would apply cosmetics and comb their hair. And then they'd quickly leave and literally forgot what they just looked like. People can repeat this experience in the spiritual realm, can't they? We give a quick glance into God's word. We see a verse on a coffee cup. We find a morsel of truth. And we jump into another task without remembering or applying at all what we just read. This is a scary result. Hear me. This is a scary result of our lack of personal Bible study and our lack of expectation of treating the word of God like the living and active words of God. If we merely think the Bible is literature on par with what Shakespeare wrote or Moby Dick or something like that, we miss the essence and the importance of knowing God through what he has communicated to us. So, how many of you would call yourselves readers? You like to read. Okay, that doesn't mean you read once, right? And you have reading pants? Right, okay. And some of us don't like to read. My favorite is, oh, I don't like to read. Well, then get off Facebook because you're reading all day. Shut up. But there's different reasons that we read. For some, it's to entertain. For some, it's to be lost in a story to take us away from the here and now. For some, it's to give us intellectual stimulation. It's to make us smarter, if you will, to have more information on a certain subject, to either pass a test, 
looking at you, Santa Clara U and State. Or it's so you can be smarter at a dinner party. I'm not really sure. But we look for it for information. But here's what matters. Why do we read the word of God? Why is this important? Why? I, some of you, you're like, I'm not a reader. I'm whatever. Why do we read this? Here's the answer. To know the one real God. Oh, I'm a Christian. Do you ever read the Bible? Oh, no. Uh, okay. Okay, we read this so we can know the real God. And as your pastor, and as a friend to many of you, I, I know that the word of God brings life. And I also know the word of God, when obeyed and not de- deceiving yourself, when you do what it says, it brings spiritual growth. We all start to look more like Jesus when we do what it says because we want to. You want to know why we read this? Because of the subject matter so we can know Jesus better and better and better. To know him and to obey him because the words of God has the words of life in this book. To know him and to obey him because life is found in this book. For many, they read it to attempt to get a little religion rather than a lot of God. But you can know the triune God through reading, repenting, and doing what the word says. So James goes on and he, he just used a negative, like you look in the mirror and you forget what you look like, and now he's going to use a positive. Here's what he says in verse 25, and don't miss this verse. This is an underlined verse because it's got some marching orders, y'all. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James uses language that signifies what an obedient person does, what a doer does. A doer looks intently at the law. This gaze that a doer does is in contrast of what someone who is deceived does, where they just look at it and forget what they look like. This is an intentional look, someone who stares at it and dissects the law. To look intently at the perfect law that gives freedom points one's heart to the fact that they want to learn. So that's my question. Do you come to the word wanting to learn more about God? Do we come to scripture to satisfy guilt that we may have because we haven't given God as much time as the person next to us? Or we want to make up for the sins that we've committed against him? Or do we come to scripture wanting to learn something about God? So first, the the obedient hearer, the doer, the intent when you come to the scripture is to learn. And if your intent is to learn, it shapes what you do with scripture. We'll either come with a follower's heart to be more like the master, or we will come with the assumption that we are doing God a favor by reading about him and giving up a little bit of time. But Smash Brothers gets way more of our time. Ooh, sorry. That was for a few of you. To, to look intently translates, it translates to bent over. It translates to study. It translates to examine. It translates to a word that it shouldn't be used this way. It translates to detective. That's what it means to look intently. So that's the first one of an obedient listener. Second, there's a continuation of obedience rather than just a moment of it. He says, continues in it. We put God's word into practice through commitment. 
It requires commitment, not once, but continuously. So follower of Jesus, Christian, are you committed to Christ? Or are you infatuated with him for the time being? Let me, let me ask that question again. You, think of yourself. Don't look at the people next to you. Don't worry about them. Are you committed to Christ or are you infatuated with him because the music's good? For a lot of us, we're committed to a church. We're committed to the way it makes us feel when we put in some time with Jesus on a Sunday. We're committed to not being like that guy, right? But the real question is, are we committed to Jesus or are we just infatuated with him for the time being? I think I'm a runner. I think, but we'll see. I don't think I've proven that I'm a runner to others or even really myself yet. And I've had far too many hobbies. Anyone? Pogs? Thank you. Thanks, John. Ninja Turtles? Baseball cards? At least those are making me some money now. You know, like I've had all of these hobbies and fads, but to be sure that my running doesn't fall into one of those categories, you really have to look at it over a period of time. The point is that when we don't miscalculate our faith and God has begun the good work, we continue. Not to be saved, not to be justified, but because the evidence of our justification is the continuation of our obedience. If you're taking notes, write that down. The point is that if we are truly justified, the evidence is that our is in a continuation of our obedience. Are we continuing to obey? Not once, but continuously. Not perfectly, but progressively. So do you want to know if your commitment's stuck? I asked you, are you committed to Jesus? You want to know if the commitment's stuck? Here's the question. Are you continuing to be committed to him? That's really the question. Thirdly, obedient listeners do not forget what they heard. Well, how's that possible? Like, I read a decent amount of scripture every day. So if I'm reading a lot of scripture, how am I not going to forget? Because those who forget didn't come to scripture with the intent to learn. You, those who really come to scripture with the intent to learn, they come and they remember what they read and via the Holy Spirit's prompting and power, you start to see in your own life how you obey the scripture in your day to day. And what's crazy is as you start to influence other people and other people start to influence you, scripture comes to mind. You know how you remember it? Not just by reading it, but by putting it into practice. And all of a sudden you start to know more of God's scripture. You don't just get a lollipop for memorizing a verse, but you put it into practice. That's how you remember it. And fourthly, committed followers of Jesus actually do what they've learned from the scripture because they know that, <clears throat> because they know that they deceive themselves if they think all the Lord expects is a shallow look at the word, a once over, rather than intently gazing into what the word says. So if you're taking notes, let me, let me give you a practical thing. If you want to know if you're a doer of the word, it really means that good listening, endurance, clear memory, and obedience characterize committed Christians. They're eager to receive and obey what God tells them to do. And let's just be real. We're not all there. I'm not always sure I'm there. 
And yet this is a progressive thing. The more that you read it and you put it into practice, the more that we grow to look more like Christ. So since Malik just went to the bathroom, I'll talk about him. (laughs) I've watched that young man grow. I watched his baptism video the other day because I watched him from when he was in high school and he was asking me questions about God and then I gave him answers, but I really just gave him things to see if he really wanted to know and it turned out he didn't. And then in college, he ended up running into me again and all of a sudden God started to do a work in him, not through me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit started to change Malik and we, if you know that young man, you've seen him grow. You've heard him share things where you're like, I've read the scriptures for 20 years and I never saw that. And he sees it and that's because of the Holy Spirit working through a young man who by the prompting of the Spirit is willing to be obedient. So good listening, endurance, clear memory, and obedience characterize committed Christians. So when and as we obey the scripture and look into the law, we find freedom from sin and death. Doesn't mean we don't still sin, it means that that sin no longer has dominion over us. The fact that you can actually not sin is because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And it is those who do this, who practice what they read continuously, that are blessed in what they do. This isn't just a future, oh, I have a cool house in heaven, ask Kyle to build it. This has more to do with the here and now, as we're following Jesus. And he's producing a difference in us as we obey what he says. So, uh, kind of a, I mean, it went negative, then it was positive. Here we're going to a negative text. You ready? (laughs) Matthew chapter 7. It's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So real quick, who says the Sermon on the Mount? Go. Jesus, very good. It's the most well-known sermon of all time. And in this sermon... The Lord preaches to this huge crowd of Jews. He has no microphone. He didn't have Moises. And Jesus had been teaching a message that spoke into the attitudes that Christians ought to have. What Christians' attitudes be like, if you will. The be attitudes. The, the attitudes they should embrace. And about such things, and it was pretty scandalous, he spoke about divorce. He spoke about murder. He spoke about taking care of the needy. And he is concluding the sermon, but he's pointing to some of the most relevant words that you and I can hear for doers and non-doers of the word. He's concluding, and as he is, Aaron is there with the guitar playing because he's about to land the plane and he's going to sound incredibly spiritual. And Jesus has been teaching this message, and he's speaking to them. So we're going to start in verse 21, where Jesus lands the plane. He says in verse 21 of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Ouch. I don't always do the will of the Father. How about you? And to a first century Jew, these words probably didn't sound the same as they do to us today because they understood obedience in a way that you and I don't. Often we may see in the church today that obedience is something that we can strive to do. But it isn't always necessary because we have this internal excuse in us. The excuse is this, we've said it, you've said it, I've said it. When you fail, you go, well, I'm only human. Well, you're human with the Holy Spirit in you. Or we say things like, well, God will forgive. 
And then we think of Romans 6, where Paul says, should you continue to sin so grace may increase? He asks this rhetorical question that he then answers, and he says, by no means. So he's pointing out the fact that just because we're human, if the Spirit's in us, we can actually flee from sin. We can actually do the things we ought to do. And when these words, the, to actually obey the will of the Father, when these words are, are understood not as a strive to or a cause but as an effect of, all of a sudden we do it for the right reasons. So if we understand that we strive to do the Father's will because he saved us, because he's given us his heart, because we have the Spirit in us, all of a sudden we can do the will of the Father. And it's because God has gotten a hold of us and he's begun a good work. So the calling out to Jesus, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, So the calling out to Jesus, how many of us have been, oh, Lord Jesus, that hurt, you know, or we were scared or whatever, or Jesus becomes a cuss word, right? That is not what he's talking about, obviously. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, someone who just calls out to him for momentary need like he's a genie, that is not what it looks like when God's drawn someone to himself. If we focus more on attempting to justify ourselves through our actions, hear me, If we focus more on trying to attempt to justify ourselves based on our actions, that's a really good clue to who we think justifies us, which is us. We think we justify ourselves. And so he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons, and in your name, perform many miracles. Now, it's easy for me to go, and on that day, many will say, didn't I go to church every week? Didn't I put money? Didn't I vote some certain way? Didn't I blah, blah, blah? And he throws up on you. Sorry, he doesn't, but I might. No, he says, just because you call on my name when you're doing something, you're not following me. You're asking me to follow you in that moment. He's challenging the common misconception that one who acts spiritual is not actually more spiritual. You guys know what I mean? Like, I am all for expressive worship. Like, you are welcome to worship in this place and express yourselves and things like that. But if you know you're going to cause other people to stumble, like, if you're, like, dancing, dance. Just dance in the back. That's fine. You can, you know, uh, the tech booth can see you. That's fine. But... If you think you're justified because you raise your hands, you think you're justified because you sing louder than others, you think you're justified because of anything you've done, you've missed the point of the gospel. We live in a post-Christian culture that is pluralistic in its belief. So something can be true and good for you, but others think something else can be true and good for someone else, even though they're in direct conflict with each other. So the exclusivity of Christ What did he say in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, what about, what about, you know, going to church? Doesn't say that. What about this other religion? Doesn't say that. The only way to the Father, according to Jesus' words, are through him. And this is exclusive, and this is very offensive to the person who doesn't actually understand God's love. Doesn't understand God's sacrifice. It's because God loved the unlovable. Guess who the unlovable is? Us. God loved the sinner. Guess who the sinner is? Us. God, through Jesus, 
paid the debt that you and I took out as credit lines on our lives, and Jesus paid it all. So you may have done some very spiritual things. You may have done some things that you think justify you. But what does Jesus say? He says in verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, I'm geeking out on words. Mike can't be the only one that gets to do that. And Jesus is alluding to Psalm chapter 6, verse 8, where God says, Away from me all who do evil. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say all who have done evil. What does he say? He says those who are doers of evil. So I wonder. I wonder if there's really no in-between of being a doer of the word and a doer of evil. (laughs) Jesus says, I never knew you. I never had relationship with you. You were never justified or made right in my eyes because of my sacrifice, because you chose to self-justify rather than to bow down. Never knew you means to never know you through experience. You've never spent time together, never experienced that person. And it seems like, I mean, just real talk, it seems like it would be easier to obey the Lord than to attempt to fool the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm putting in my time, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, but your heart's not really in it. You're not going to fool the Lord. You'll fool us. But most people try to fool the Lord rather than obey him. Why? Because of pride. And to protect ourselves from ever having to be submissive and obey anyone but our flesh. So verse 24, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anyone else think Dwayne Johnson? I just did. All right. Therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, everything he just communicated. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and applies them and obeys them and practices them, they have not deceived themselves. They have not miscalculated their spirituality. They have not lived in vain. But they have, by God's initiation and grace, done what they were supposed to do because they have believed the truth. I walked into Pete's today to get my black tea lemonade, and as I walk in, I see my favorite assistant manager, Lauren, and she goes, what's the good word today? What are you preaching? And I said that those who just read the word but don't put it in practice have lived in vain. And she's like, I was not ready for you to tell me that. (laughs) Verse 25. What happens to those who have built their foundation on the rock? The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation is on the rock. The hearer, who's also the doer, had built the spiritual house on the rock. Its foundation was and is secure. No matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, his foundation, her foundation is not able to be cracked or broken because it's built not on our effort but on Christ's gift of grace. Hallelujah. That's so good. But then Jesus goes on. Verse 26. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, does not apply them, does not obey them, is like a foolish man. Let's nerd out in the Greek. Foolish means idiot who built his house on sand. Anyone who's ever built a foundation anywhere knows that if you put it on sand, you're stupid, right? (laughs) 
So you have these two builders who are hearers. They've both heard the word of God. They both will give an account for what they've heard and what they knew, and yet one puts it into practice and obeys and applies what they learn, and the other one does not, and look what happens. Verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Do I have to explain what that means? It didn't work out well. The eventual fruit of one who has not really built his foundation on the rock, it's to be torn down, to see the building crumble, to build your spiritual foundation on something that is soft and unable to handle the storms of this life. And then it says, Matthew writes at the end of this part, he says, when Jesus, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed, they were in awe, they gasped at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority. Makes sense, he's the author. And not as their teachers of the law. So when you start to read the Bible as it's some law, do's and don'ts, you've missed the point because Jesus has already done what you could not do for yourself. So what does this have to do at all with application? Everything. Because of the person who doesn't understand and care to apply and obey God's words, they are without excuse because they have not built their foundation on the rock. Because their faith is miscalculated, their faith is in vain, God has not begun a good work in them. And some of you cannot, like, literally, I'm, I'm, you cannot understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, Chris Tucker style, all right? Like, you do not understand what I'm saying right now. you've been deceived and maybe you were deceived so long ago that there's too much pride in you to change direction because you're unwilling to believe that all that you did leading up to now was in vain and you've maybe even had an example some teacher some pastor some shepherd some whatever that you look to as the example and you go well he who retains the most information wins I'm here to point something out, not about who wins, not about the most, but I'm here to point out that those who are willing to obey and put into practice God's words, they're the ones that know God at all. They're the ones who know him. This is why we focus so much on takeaways and application, because I know for me, I pursued the wrong thing in my Christianity. I miscalculated my Christianity. I deceived myself in my Christianity for quite some time, and I don't want to help you do the same thing. It is through obeying God's word as you hear it that you grow and know Jesus. If that's the only takeaway you have, that's a good one. It is through obedience Obeying God's word as you hear it, that you grow and know Jesus. So that's the method of the madness to the four questions. If you've ever heard me explain the four questions, there are questions that I ask to people when I meet with them. I ask them these questions because I don't want them to just hear something and forget what they learned. I don't want them to just hear something and not know how to apply it to their lives. And usually when I meet with someone, I always do the first one, right? What's your big takeaway? What's your big takeaway? And depending on that person's growth and obedience and things like that, I may start asking the other four questions, the other three after that. So here we go. You want to know how I disciple? Here it is. Pretty simple. And it's really not complicated. I recommend caffeine, but it doesn't have to have that. 
I recommend a table, but you're welcome to just sit knee to knee with someone, I guess. I, I mean, you could stand, but it just makes more sense to put your attention on one another. And so we open the Bible. We read it. We talk about it. And at the end, we ask the four questions. Here's the first one. What was your big takeaway? And the reason I ask that question is because I want to make sure something sticks. What was the one thing that you're going to remember from this time? What was your big takeaway? And then the second question is always, who will you share it with? Now, here's what I know about the way we listen. If you know you're going to be asked a question at the end of something, you're going to listen differently, right? This means yes. Okay, here's the other thing we know. If we have to teach it to somebody else, we're also going to listen differently, right? Yes. And so that's the method of the madness. That's why we ask what the big takeaway is. That's why we ask, who will you share it with? It doesn't matter who you share it with. It matters that you listen so you could share it with someone. And then the third one, the big one, what is God telling you to do differently? You know why I bring God into it? Because if you apply what I told you to do, there's no guarantee of growth. But based on what God has told you to do, if you put it into practice for the right reasons, I can guarantee there will be some growth. And so there's something beautiful of just, what was your big takeaway? Great, who will you share that with? And one of the reasons that when I meet with guys who are married in general, I'll encourage them to tell their wives and have their wives tell me. Why? Because then we know that they're doing something with what they learned. And what is God telling you to do differently? Man, what if we ask this to each other and we started to put into practice what we learned? And then lastly, who will hold you accountable? Why? Because more is caught than taught, but also if someone's watching, we'll probably do better. If we have someone to check in on us, we'll probably do it. So here's the thing. If you're willing to sit down with someone, church, and open the scriptures and read a little and talk a little, and maybe you're like, I'm not a master teacher. I don't know how to do it. Great. You're here. Sit down with someone else and discuss this sermon. You learn something, talk about that. Read the same verses, see what God brings out of it. But if you're willing to do these things, I kid you not. You ready? Discipleship's happening. And the opportunity for spiritual growth takes place. It's through these four questions and through this filter, the, these tenets of discipleship. Teaching, accountability, life on life, mentorship, application. And then the last one we'll talk about next week, so come back. It's really just not as complicated as you think. But like the word, you can't just hear it. And you can't just do it. You need to become a doer of it. Disciples, disciple. And so if you want to be someone who is helping someone else grow into the likeness of Jesus, you ought to be discipled and you ought to disciple others. Worship team, would you come on up?